I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. British Columbia, with 42 seats in the House of Commons, this province has the most electoral districts west of Ontario. And it's here in the Lower Mainland and on Vancouver Island where the parties are pushing to win seats. And candidates are feeling the pressure. I believe that for Mission Matsui, the Conservative Party, if they want to form government, they have to win Mission Matsui Fraser Canyon. I think this, this riding is critical. And that's why I'm out day after day seeking to earn the trust of the voters and uh, knocking on doors like crazy. Biggest thing that we're after, guys, is getting more lawn signs out. Conservative Brad Viz is not the only candidate trying to take this seat located just outside of Vancouver from the Liberals. Green Party candidate John Kidder says he wouldn't be in the race if he couldn't stand the pressure to win. Of course there's pressure. The pressure that's mounting all across the country really is, I think, a pressure to figure out how we're going to get a rational government out of this. And it doesn't seem from the evidence that we're going to get a rational government from either of the two major parties if they have a majority. Environment and affordability are two big issues in BC. We're trying to encourage people to, to include climate in their decision making. And in this campaign, activist groups are registering with Elections Canada to make their voices heard. Third parties like the left wing Lead Now, who's holding phone banks and backing candidates who have signed on to their climate agenda. Our hope is that we send a, a cohort of champions and heroes that are willing to apply pressure from within the House of Commons to deliver the kind of climate action that people are asking for. This writing is ground zero for Kinder Morgan for the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion and there is a huge sense of betrayal by the Liberals. NDP candidate Sven Robinson is back into federal politics after a 15-year break, running in Burnaby, just north of Vancouver. It's a huge issue in the constituency, and it's one that is, I think, driving many people to, to, to support my candidacy, frankly. The NDP is hoping to flip this riding from the Liberals, but Liberal candidate Terry Beach is optimistic. So if you go economy, environment, affordability, uh, childcare, housing, you know, those are, you're probably hitting 80% of what you're hearing on the doors most of the time, and there's a lot of other issues kind of mixed in there. Uh, my strategy for elections is the same as my strategy for life, my strategy for work. Uh, never take a day for granted, work as hard as you can, and we'll let the chips land where they may. So while the Liberals and Conservatives try to pick up or retain seats in the Lower Mainland, over on Vancouver Island, of the seven seats, the Greens hold two and are running hard against the NDP for the remaining five. On election night, all eyes will be on British Columbia, as it may be here where the final votes are counted that we learn who will form the next government. In just over three weeks, Canadians will elect a new government. Liberals and Conservatives have been locked in a battle for first place, with the polls showing that the race is just too close to call at this point. Meanwhile, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has been campaigning hard in British Columbia, trying to hang on to his party's 12 seats in that province. Singh hit a leadership high with his response to the Trudeau blackface controversy, but it doesn't seem to be doing much for his numbers in the polls. Late last week, I caught up with Mr. Singh on Vancouver Island to discuss the fallout of those images and his pitch to be the next Prime Minister of Canada. Here's that conversation. Jagmeet Singh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're sitting here in a coffee shop and people all across Canada have been talking about race in this election in a way that we haven't previously. How big of a role do you think race is playing in this election and how does it affect you? So I think it's, it's come to light because of what we've seen with Mr. Trudeau. So certainly it's come to light. I think there's a really good opportunity for us to have a really honest conversation. Racism is something that exists in Canada. 
we're certainly not like the states, but we're not also some sort of paradise where there is no systemic barriers. There are. And I think it's important for us to say, well, what are we going to do about it? You had this moment, and I'm sure it was not a moment you ever wanted, but it was thrust upon you on the campaign trail when the images and video of Justin Trudeau in blackface and brownface came out, and you could tell it was so raw and so emotional for you, and everyone across the partisan perspective said that was a moment of great leadership, but also a moment of great personal pain for you. Justin Trudeau called you to apologize. What did he say? Well, I, I said I was going to keep it private, and so uh, I don't want to disclose that. But for me, what was unique about um, that moment was I wasn't actually thinking about myself. Because while racism was hard for me, I was always able to defend myself. So it wasn't as hurtful to me as it was to others. It was something that still, I have pain from it. Does the fact that he hasn't fully disclosed what he was doing in that blackface video impact on how sincerely you view the apology? I think the not being open about what happened is just creating more questions. And I think it's fair that Canadians are asking these questions. You are the only racialized party leader in Canada. You wear a turban. You're also campaigning in Quebec. Bill 21 there. It obviously very, very controversial. And you couldn't do your job in Quebec. Why won't you commit to fighting that bill if you become prime minister? There's a core challenge that's going on. And I think that core challenge is very important. And I support it. Uh, and it's, it's something that should not be interfered with. And I don't want to jeopardize that court case in any way with uh, any sort of comments that I might make about that court case. I, I do recognize there's jurisdiction, but that court case is challenging the fact that there's a very discriminatory law. What do you say to people like Tom Mulcair, former NDP leader, who've implied that you don't have the courage to do it or that it's about seats? Uh, I've got the courage. I've taken on big, big challenges in my life and I've never backed down. And I'm not afraid to fight when it comes to people's rights. Trans Mountain Pipeline, obviously very controversial here in BC. Mm -hmm. You've said that you don't support it. That's correct. Would you support the building of any pipeline that would carry oil in Canada? One, it would have to fit within the environmental regulations, protection of the environment, and also our plans to reduce emissions. So if that was satisfied, the second you know, very important criteria is that it has to create jobs for Canadians and be something that's not a resource ex extraction and a rip and ship type of project, one that creates value-added jobs. And finally, and most importantly, it has to be a bill that has the, the acceptance of the community, and whether that is because of Indigenous community rights or because of local communities, it has to be something that is in line with the vision of the community that's being impacted. What do you say to taxpayers, though, who say we've spent $4.5 billion on this pipeline? There are tens of thousands of jobs in Alberta on the line. How do you explain that to those people that you simply cancel that pipeline? I want to say to those workers, I know there's better ways for us to make investments that will create a more stable workforce and a more stable uh, economy that creates jobs that are long-lasting. Would you give Indigenous people a veto over national energy projects? I would respect them and give them dignity. Is that a veto? That would be a collaborative approach. But is it a veto? You know, it's, it's more working with communities to make sure that they get things done in a way that respects their authority and their autonomy. It would be in line with uh, prior and informed consent, so that's what I would do, absolutely. Is there a point where, as Prime Minister, you would determine a project to be in the national interest and run it through despite Indigenous uh, refusal to allow it to go across the line? I wouldn't contravene that principle, that free, prior and informed consent. For me, that's, that's a, a guiding light and a guiding principle. So I'd make sure it's in line with that. And if it's not in line with that, then no, I wouldn't go ahead. Is it the job of the Prime Minister to say, look, this is in the national interest and the project is going ahead? 
the track record of the past has shown that if there's not communities on side, if they're strongly opposed, if Indigenous rights aren't respected, projects don't succeed. We've talked a lot about the environment and you have some pretty big climate goals and we know that this is top of mind for a lot of Canadians. One of the goals that you've talked about is meeting the IPCC goals within 11 years, by 2030. That would take some pretty drastic change. What does that change look like? It means reimagining our economy where people feel like it's rigged against them and they feel like they're not getting ahead. But, but how do you do that in terms of specific policies? Because you would have to crack down massively on emissions. Absolutely. So ending fossil fuel subsidies and reinvesting that money into clean renewable energy, investing in public trans transit and electrifying transportation. The three biggest sources of greenhouse gas emissions are transportation, buildings, and energy production. On each of those fronts, massive investments for us to go to zero emissions. But have, have you added up the actual numbers on that? As we develop more new technology and implement those technologies, we can get all the way there and beyond that. You've made some other pretty big promises that are very attractive to a lot of people, but potentially very expensive. National Pharmacare to be implemented very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. National Dental Care, support for people who are struggling to pay their rent. How many billion dollars in new spending are we looking at? The Trudeau government spent 14 billion on a fall economic statement to give the wealthiest corporations the ability to buy corporate jets and limousines. They spent 4.5 billion dollars on a pipeline and they waived or forgave six billion dollars in corporate loans. One year alone of government spending from Mr. Trudeau to the wealthiest, most powerful corporations more than pays for our commitments. So you're saying you wouldn't have to raise taxes at all and you wouldn't have to cut anything other than those corporate welfare programs? Uh, what we would do is we'd raise revenue and we would make better choices. In the past, you've appeared at rallies and marches that supported Sikh independence. Some people are wondering, what would a relationship with India look like under Prime Minister Jagmeet Singh? Well, I believe we have to have good relationships with everyone in the world, and India is included. Um, I believe in the right to self-determination, but I don't believe it's my position to weigh in on what the answer is. So I believe in anyone's right, whether it's in Scotland, whether it's in Spain, whether it's in um, any community that is making that decision, it's up to them to, to decide, but I support their right, whether it's in Quebec, it's their right to decide, I'm going to work towards creating unity in, in Canada. With India, I believe that there are some serious human rights violations that have to be called out. One of those uh, events that you appeared at had a poster up of an extremist leader of the group that occupied the Golden Temple in 1984. What do you say to people who say they're concerned that you may support extremism? Uh, I say I reject violence. Uh, look at my life. Uh, I've been a lawyer and I've uh, been someone that's used the legal system to defend the rights of people, to defend the rights of those who don't have rights themselves. Which brings me to my final question on your leadership, because you're asking for Canadians for their vote to make you the Prime Minister. You struggled at times as a new leader in the NDP to raise money. Sometimes it seemed like you didn't really know your policy files. You didn't make it to New Brunswick, which created a backlash. Obviously, those are all learning experiences. But what do you say to people who say, you know, I don't know if he was ready to be the leader of the NDP. Is he ready to be the leader of the country? I'd say I'm, I'm open to always learning and I will always try to improve. And I think that's something that people can see in me as someone who's always willing to improve and I continue to do that. Mr. Singh, thank you for taking the time to join us on this very busy election day. Thank you very much. A busy full second week on the campaign trail. Lots to break down, so let's get right to it.
Joining us now for our War Room panel, Richard Mahoney for the Liberals, Anne McGrath for the NDP, and Fred Delory for the Conservatives. Uh, and we sat down with Mr. Singh, as you just saw. He talked about a lot of programs, which, which he said will amount to billions of dollars, and he also talked about increased revenue, but he said that wouldn't be in the form of increased taxes. Where is the NDP planning to get that revenue from? Well, I think the increased revenue will come from a, uh, a tax on the super rich, the people with more than $20 million, uh, and it's a 1% tax. I think what he's probably talking about is, uh, you know, people outside of that category, where there's not going to be any increase in taxes uh, in the general population. And, and that would be enough to pay for over $10 billion of programs? There are other sources of revenue that, that, that uh, the NDP is looking at. They're looking at things like uh, fossil fuel and into fossil fuel subsidies. Um, there are other places to look for revenue. It seems in a way that this has been a bit of a theme in this campaign, Richard, among all of the political parties. People come out and they make grand announcements and there's very little behind that policy to explain how they're going to pay for it, how it's going to get done. I think of the Liberal promise on cell phone bills. We're going to make them less expensive. How? Well, we're going to sit down and talk to the cell phone companies. You know, is it responsible for politicians to be out there making these promises, all trying to outcompete each other on how they're going to make your life better, when really no one seems to have done the math? Well, I mean, I think we need to put the test and do the, have they done the math? At the end of the day, when everyone's released their platforms and they're costing by the, the PBO, we'll make judgments on how credible each of those plans are on the cell phone thing. I mean, what the government will do there is use their regulatory leverage to say, we want prices to come down. That's not really a cost item. That's a using the powers of government item. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about that. The problem with election campaigns is they are big picture issues, and we're trying to each give each party is trying to give the, 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 the public a sense of the direction of where they're going. And details and so forth like that get, get lost in the thing. But, but, but we got to hold them accountable. Mr. Singh's comment on raising revenues, he said at one point in time, he said, well, we'll, we'll replace all the bad things the Liberals done. What are those? Are they get rid of the, the child benefit that took 800,000 people out of poverty? Are they going to get rid of the changes to the Canada Pension Plan that basically makes folks working in the gig economy have some income security for the rest of their life? I don't think they're going to do that. Um, and there aren't that many people in this country making over $20 million a year, so there isn't that much money to get there. Well, the PBO says that there is money uh, there. For sure, and, there's and, money and, there, and but, of, but enough for a And in terms of getting rid of some of the things that the Liberals have done, I think one of the things he's talking about is the corporate tax cuts. Uh, Fred, the Conservatives are also promising individual tax benefits. It, it kind of seems like there's a competition for the centre here. I mean, there's been articles where people look and say, Liberal, Conservative, at least the NDP stands out and the Greens stand out for their original ideas, but very much this is a campaign that seems to be a drive towards the centre. Absolutely. Look, that's the that's the focus of, uh, of most campaigns. Should be trying to get the uh, those voters that uh, make up the bulk of the electorate. And at the end of the day, what Canadians are looking for is affordability, and that's what our plan has. That's what the Conservative plan has. Um, we talk about uh, platform costing. Um, we're actually taking our platform to the parliamentary budget office and having them cost it. Uh, the Liberals created this mechanism to do that, and they're now refusing to actually bring that, their, that, their budget. That's not right. They've said they will make use the PBO costing fully at the end of the campaign when they release their full platform a la budget so there'll be a full accountability of that and you and everybody else will be able to judge whether they're properly costed and properly paid for I do think that the the use of the parliamentary budget officer is a is a good Good development and I'm happy that that people are putting those in. I do, th- and, but I do think, but I, but I also do think that it, it's a little bit dissonant that 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 it was the Liberals that put that in place, which I agree is a good thing, but hasn't yet put anything in to be uh, costed. Uh, and I want to ask you about something else that Jagmeet Singh said. Uh, he said it after our interview, which is why we didn't ask him about it. But he came out and said that basically he hopes Donald Trump is impeached before he has the opportunity to be.
become prime minister. Is that befitting of somebody who wants to be a statesman before they've even been elected? I think what he's uh, saying, I mean, you know, what's happening in the United States right now is kind of, uh, I mean, people, Canadians, uh, people around the world are a bit transfixed by this. It's very dramatic, um, uh, very unusual. And I think that for uh, Jagmeet Singh, he, like many other Canadians, looks at what this U.S. president has done and is appalled at children being ripped away from their parents' arms at, at the border, at, you know, the, the way that he has, uh, seems to have abused his power as, as the president to advance his own political interests. I think most Canadians um, are uh, rolling their, doing more than rolling their eyes. They're appalled at it and they worry about the fact that it is, number one, so close to us and number two, uh, the impact that it will have on, on world affairs. But is it a risk for him to say something like that, Fred, or is he simply reflecting what a lot of Canadians think and they're going to go, mm, yeah, me too? Well, again, I think he's going for a different voter than a lot than, say, uh, other parties are. Um, a lot of the NDP's uh, voter bloc would, would probably be quite opposed to Mr. Trump and his policies. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, that has, it would have no impact on him in this. Richard, what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think personally, I agree with him, but. I'm not running to be prime minister. Uh, you think about the delicate line that Mr. Trudeau had to walk in the NAFTA uh, renegotiations uh, with Mr. Trump, with the Republican Congress and so forth. The, the idea that you would, in the middle of an election campaign, when you're trying to be prime minister, on, opine on something like that, it's okay for us to have that opinion. But for the person who's actually trying to do that, Mr. Singh seems like a nice guy. But that, that I think, was a careless throwaway and a bit irresponsible for someone who's actually trying to be Prime Minister of Canada. I think it's refreshing and honest. Well, certainly puts it out there. And well, it, how would you, how would, how would that position him for the, if he had to renegotiate NAFTA? He's already gone right in the guy's face before he has to sit down and walk that delicate balance. We all know Mr. Trump is a complicated bunch of people. Um, you know, it's, 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 it might so, get you a vote, but yeah. it's a bit of a cheap throw. Things are so volatile in the United States right now, we really don't know what's going to happen. That's true. Okay, I want to focus back home here in Canada because, of course, climate was a big issue this week. A controversial decision by Andrew Scheer not to march in any of the climate justice uh, marches that took place across the country. And then he comes out on Saturday and announces a national energy corridor. Why do you think he would not show up to those marches and chose to make that announcement the day after? Well, first of all, I think it's, uh, you know, climate change is no laughing matter, but I think it's hilarious that Mr. Trudeau showed up to a protest against his own government, uh, which is essentially what he did this week. Um, you know, the, the Liberals have no plan on this, no real plan on this other than to raise taxes. Uh, Catherine McKenna, the Liberal Environment Minister, just last week came out and said uh, they don't know how they're going to meet their targets. Uh, and they'll figure it out after the election, which is no plan. The Conservatives under Mr. Scheer have a, an environmental plan, a good one. But, but why didn't he march? Is, well, is, look, it, is uh, it that he just thinks there's nothing to gain by doing that? His voters aren't in that? Would there have been a political risk to him? Why not do that? I don't, look, I don't know why he would march or not. Uh, at the end of the day, he's got a very comprehensive environment plan that they put out months before the election uh, that's really focused on green technology and making Canada a world leader on the environment, something that we can do under his leadership. Okay, so Justin Trudeau marched, but isn't meeting his own goals. Uh, they talk a lot about the carbon tax and about meeting them, but there, there's no hardcore policy in place to do so. In terms of who he's focused on in an enemy in this campaign, I've been fascinated because we started counting the number of times he said Andrew Scheer versus the number of times he said Stephen Harper, and it seems like he's still very much campaigning against the ghost of Stephen Harper. 
Why doesn't he talk about Andrew Scheer, who is actually the leader of the other party, who's running? Well, he does. And what he's trying to say to Canadians is that if you look at the policies of what Mr. Harper did, Mr. Mr. Scheer is talking almost daily about little carbon copy cutouts of what Mr. Harper promised. I mean, he said himself he was Mr. Harper with a smile. I think it's, it's an abdication of leadership for him to say, and frankly for Fred to say, uh, that those people were uh, protesting Mr. Trudeau's uh, policies. That's not what... Th those people were saying what we need them to say, which is we need our governments all around the world, our provincial governments, our federal governments, our global leadership, to do more on this. The French leaders' debate is coming this week. Uh, there's a tremendous number of undecided voters in Quebec and Ontario. Those are the two biggest provinces where people say, I don't know how I'm going to vote. What is each party strategizing as they head into this week and prepare for the debate, starting with you, Fred? Well, again, it comes down to the main message the Conservatives are pushing. It's the same in French and English, and it's uh, affordability and how to make life more affordable for Canadians. I think for Jagmeet Singh, he will present himself as a modern, progressive uh, uh, leader who can represent the diversity of Quebec and of Canada. Mr. Trudeau has got to talk to Quebecers about who is it that you want in the position to make these tough decisions. Who's going to lead us on climate? Who's going to try and make uh, it, things more affordable for uh, average families? I'm sure we'll continue to talk about all of the leaders. Thank you very much to our War Room Strats for joining us today. If you'd like to see our extended interview with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, go to our website, www.thewestblock.ca. And finally, as we leave you today, we want to show you some of the lighter moments out there on the campaign trail, in case you missed it. For The West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Have a great week. This nifty item ensures that I can take water on an airplane without taking a plastic cup. If you were the Prime Minister, what is the first thing you'd say to Donald Trump? Uh, first thing I would say to who? To Donald Trump. Oof. <laughs> I, I, I hope he gets um, impeached before I get to speak to him. <laughs> You're running to become Prime Minister. Should you be joking about the impeachment of the U.S. President? I wasn't joking. I also carry my own serviette so I can avoid taking paper napkins. Red, you want an apple, buddy? No, you don't want an apple? This is so delicious, these apples. Who's gonna, who's gonna throw me a curveball in media? Who's gonna? <laughs> right solo? Oh, that's a beautiful day for that. I avoid plastic everywhere I go. I have all my own utensils. You're like a Cub Scout. Yep. Oh, look, I got a ladybug join me here. I don't usually travel luck. with a ladybug. That's good luck. Bye, team.